Tonight, we're getting right back into Luke chapter six. So if you have a Bible with you, you'll want to grab that. I'm going to be teaching from the New King James Version. And so we're going to be at Luke chapter six, beginning at verse 12. And I'll tell you something that I've noticed (laughs) this week in particular. I don't know what it is, but I felt like the more that I watch the news, the more that I'm on social media, the more that I take in the things of this world around me, I'll be honest, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it can be disheartening at times. It can be very difficult to see all of the chaos that is happening in the world, to see the practices and the ideologies that are being put in place that we see as potentially destructive immediately if people don't repent. But more than that, I start to feel like, man, I don't know what I'm doing here. I feel anxious. I feel uh, agitated, maybe even angry about these things, right? And then you get to a passage like Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 36, where we'll be tonight. And you start to realize, man, it's because I'm not a citizen of this kingdom only, of this world. I am a citizen truly and fully of Jesus's kingdom the kingdom that is not here on earth. And when we realize that this is not our world, this is not what we were made for. We are made for an eternal kingdom with Jesus Christ. And it makes us realize that it's okay that we don't feel at home in this world. But the thing that I've realized this week is that I can't just stand around and be agitated and anxious or angry about the things that are happening around me. Jesus has taught us that, man, we have work to do. Not because we need to be saved by this work, but we need to go out as his disciples with the right attitude and the right attributes that come through his spirit that allow us to live as light in this world. As Jesus was the light of the world, we come after him and we are walking in the light and not in darkness. Amen. And so what we're going to be looking at tonight is Jesus is appointing his apostles. So he's calling them to follow him. We're going to be looking at the Beatitudes, which are the attitudes that we should have as disciples of Jesus Christ, and the attributes that come out of following Jesus Christ through the power of his spirit. So take a look at Luke chapter 6, verse 12. We're going to be looking at the appointing of the apostles. It says in verse 12, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. And so right off the bat here, we have to point out something awesome. If you remember at the beginning of this series, we've been going through the gospel according to Luke. We, we know that Luke is writing so that he can paint the picture of Jesus as the perfect human. You see, the book of John showed that Jesus was the son of God. We know that the gospel of Mark showed that Jesus was the perfect servant. We know that in Matthew, it showed that Jesus was the Messiah, right? Well, in Luke's account, Luke is a Gentile writing to other Gentiles saying, hey, look, Jesus was the perfect man. And part of his perfection is the fact that he always relied upon the Father for guidance and for direction, And see, I love this because what it starts with in verse 12 is that it came that he went up to the mountain and prayed all night long. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but I struggle to pray like all minute long (laughs) or all hour long, all day long, all night long. 
Jesus went and just sought the Father. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I just feel like, well, did Jesus need to do this? He was 100% God, 100% man. But this shows in Luke's account, he's saying in his humanity, he relied upon the Lord for direction. And the reason he needs direction is we know that this is a huge decision. He's calling 12 of his disciples to become apostles. And the word apostle is literally a messenger with delegated authority. They've been given authority by the king. King Jesus is calling these 12. And it's interesting because Jesus had hundreds of disciples following him. He called them all together and says, I'm picking 12. Some have said, well, why is it 12? My own personal theory on this is that when God formed the nation of Israel, it started with 12 tribes, right? The 12 sons of Israel. Well, in this case, I believe he's starting the church. And it's this new nation that's spoken about in 1 Peter, right? And instead of 12 tribes, he's taking 12 men that would begin the church. And we're part of this nation now as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. This is where our citizenship is. It's in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is beginning it here. And see, it says in Mark 3, 14 through 15, Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. You notice the very first thing that it says in that verse in Mark 3, 14, it says that Jesus called them so that they would be with him. I think this is so important because so many people want to be claiming that they're disciples of Jesus, that they follow Jesus, but they never spend any time with him. For me, this is the very first thing before you get the power and before you have the ability to go preach, you got to spend time with Jesus. (laughs) And see, for me, I want to make sure, man, my priorities are always in line, that I'm waking up and the first thing in the midst of this crazy world that I am getting up and I'm spending time with the Lord in his word and in prayer and asking him to lead me and guide me afresh and new every day. Amen. I hope you guys can relate to that. This is where it starts as a believer to say, I'm going to follow you now, Jesus, and I want to spend time with you so that I can tell others about you and that your power may be upon me to do great things for your kingdom, just as he gave that power to the apostles. And so we get the list of who the apostles were. Look at verse 14 through 16 in Luke 6. It says, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Elphias, and Simon called the Zealot. Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And so I just got to tell you, I'm looking at this list, and I hope all of us can look at this and realize something about this. When Jesus prayed and sought the Lord, he picked 12 men that were not the kind of guys that we would probably pick out right off the bat as being like Jesus's favorite chosen apostles. What I mean by that is that these guys were fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. A zealot, this guy, Simon the Zealot, he basically hated Rome so much. He was part of a gang called the Daggermen, according to church history. He'd carry a dagger in his jacket, in his cloak. And whenever he was near a Roman that was occupying Jewish land, he'd just pull that knife out and shank the guy. Like, Jesus, you're calling this guy to follow you? And see, this is the reminder. When I start to think, Jesus, why did you call these guys? I had to take a step back and say, well, Jesus, why did you call me? How did you call me, Lord? Thank you so much for your mercy and grace, for your willingness to use a wretch like me, so to speak, right? 
And that's an understatement. I have no business being associated with the name of Jesus Christ. But Jesus saw these men. He saw guys like James and John. Here are two guys that at one point they were so frustrated in Luke chapter 9 that Samaria wouldn't accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. They said, hey, should we call down fire upon them? Like these guys wanted to, to kill people if they didn't accept Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, we don't do that. Are you guys crazy? <laughs> and yet he's going to use them for great things in spite of themselves as they follow Jesus, as they're filled with his spirit, as they get to know him and follow him. They're going to be used for great things. You had Matthew, who we talked about last week, was essentially a traitor to the Jews because he worked for Rome as a tax collector. You have him working alongside Simon the Zealot who shanks Romans. That's a crazy combination right there, right? Not to mention Judas who became a traitor. And Jesus picked him. Jesus says, these are my guys that I am picking to come out to be with me and I'm delegating power at them so that they can set the example that I'm willing to use flawed people with messed up backgrounds, with tendencies that don't always align with Jesus. But when they get right with Jesus and they learn from Jesus, they can become transformed and new creations. Amen. And see, this is the deal for me. This is what's wild is I think about Jesus not only united these guys to where they just didn't coexist. They actually successfully carried out the mission of Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost, to go and take the gospel out. Because here we are in 2021. Jesus, after he ascends at the beginning of Acts, right? At Acts chapter one, he goes up and it's left to these guys to carry out the gospel. And we're still preaching it today. These guys were successful as they trusted in the Lord. Well, 11 out of 12 of them, Judas, not so much. But the rest of them were successful as they kept their eyes on the Lord. And let Judas be an example. When we get away from the Lord, when we stop believing that he is who he says he is, our flesh rules over us and it actually overtakes us to the point of death and destruction. But you have guys like Peter. Peter, who was following Jesus as Jesus is going, we, we studied it on Good Friday, as Jesus is taking his cross. And Peter is warming himself by a fire before Jesus gets up there. And the, the young servant girl, this says, hey, aren't you with Jesus? He denies it three times. And he runs off. He's just terrified. But yet after the Holy Spirit comes at the day of Pentecost, Peter becomes the leader of this group in the sense that he's the, 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 the front man. And he's standing before the same group that killed Jesus, that sentenced Jesus to death. And he says, I am not going to stop preaching the gospel. You see, this old scaredy cat of sorts <laughs> had this new found confidence and power when the Holy Spirit came upon him in Acts 2. And see, for you and I, as we seek Jesus, we follow Jesus, we're filled with spirit, there's going to be a transformation. And we today are in the same boat where Jesus takes people from all different kinds of backgrounds, people that have nothing in common outside of the Lord Jesus. Think about how many people in your church, hopefully in most places, at least this is my experience, a lot of people that were different age groups, different education levels, different races, different hobbies and things. We had nothing in common but Jesus. But Jesus brought us together and bought us with his blood and made us this one group, this new nation. And it's such a blessing to be a part of that as we trust in Jesus Christ. And we realize again, that is where our citizenship is. It's in belonging to Jesus. And see, it says in 1 Peter 2, 9, 
But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so you see, if we choose to walk in the spirit, then man, we are going to walk as a new creation. We're going to know what that means in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And see, you can't have the new nation without the new creation. You got to have the Holy Spirit upon you. You have to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And when you do, man, you're blessed because not only do you have eternal life, because Romans 10 tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But then he gives you this awesome mission, this awesome adventure to live out while you are here on this earth as a sojourner, as a pilgrim, as someone passing through And you're on your way to your true kingdom, which is with the Lord. But in the meantime, you're not of this world, but you're in this world. And you're living as that shiny, bright testimony of Jesus Christ. And so he calls the apostles. And then look at verse 17 through 19. He's going to start to teach them. It says, and he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. And see, I said what Jesus is doing here is he's beginning to teach the, the, the apostles. What I believe is happening here is Jesus says, okay, I've called you. And as Mark 3 said, you're going to be with me. What you're going to see is that I set the example. We are not just here to give a gospel in word. We're here to give a gospel in power. We're here to bring the gospel out to the needy, to those that are sick, to those that are broken, to those that are possessed and oppressed and depressed and all the different things. The Lord Jesus says, man, I am coming and I am going to show you what it is to truly have compassion on people. I'm going to show you what it is to actually love other people while you're on this earth, while you have something to do. And it's interesting. It says that Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. And see, because of that, they call this upcoming section that we're going to look at the Sermon on the Plain. Some people say it's the same as as the Sermon on the Mount, which which is in Matthew 5 through 7. It's possible because the rock had level level places in it. So even though they're on a level place, it could be part of the rock. It doesn't really matter if we think it is or isn't. Here's the deal. Jesus doesn't contradict himself. Both passages are rich with just the, some of the best words that Jesus ever gave. I mean, Jesus was perfect. He never had a bad day teaching, but in Luke's account, it's almost like the abbreviated version of what we get in Matthew. And what he's going to do is he's going to teach all of his disciples and the multitude and everyone that comes He's going to tell them what the kingdom of God is about and how we're to live in it, what it should look like when we are citizens of this kingdom. But before he starts teaching, he shows them, hey, I have power and I'm willing to heal anyone that's willing to come to me. Anyone that's willing to come and hear my word, they will be delivered from spiritual and physical things. And see, this is wild because Luke, again, a Gentile writing to Gentiles, He focuses in and says, not only was it his disciples, not only was it a great multitude from Judea and Jerusalem, but there were people there from Tyre and Sidon, which were generally Gentile regions. 
So Luke is saying, man, Jesus just wasn't here for the, the Jews. He was here for everyone. Anyone that was willing to come hear him. And when they put their faith in his word, in the word, Jesus Christ, they would be delivered from all those things that they were in bondage to, those things that were burdensome upon them, those things that were harming them. And the same is true today. The gospel is open and available to all and to any. Paul wrote in Romans 1.16 for the power of the gospel, right? He's not ashamed of the, of the gospel for it is the power of salvation to, to all who would believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And see, for us, I don't know about all you out there. I should say all y'all because I'm from Texas now. All y'all out there. Listen, we, myself, my family, we're not Jews. We are Gentiles. I am so grateful for the fact that the Lord Jesus is willing to fill this American dude from Texas now, formerly from California, this sinner, this wretched person, all because of his work, his work upon the cross, he now willingly gives us his spirit to walk out and share that gospel with the lost, to seek and to save that which was lost, as Luke 19.10 says. And so I pray that today we wouldn't just get bogged down with anxiety and angst and anger when we see the world going crazy, but that we would realize, yes, we are citizens of Jesus's kingdom, of an of a non-earthly kingdom. But here where we're here, we got to serve the Lord. We have this opportunity to tell everyone that Jesus is willing to deliver them from the wages of sin, which is death, according to Romans 6.23. And that he has the free gift of eternal life if they put their faith in him. And so that's the first part is we see the appointing. But now we're going to see the attitudes the attitudes that we should have as we walk as disciples of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20 through 23. It says, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner, their fathers did to the prophets. And so these are the Beatitudes in Luke. We get four of them. There are more in the, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. But here again, we get, I believe, the abbreviated version of that passage, or maybe it's Jesus teaching a similar teaching, but it's not contradictory. It is complementary to what is there in Matthew 5 through 7. And see what he's doing here, he's giving out the Beatitudes. That's a word that I'm going to be using here. You might say, well, what's a Beatitude? Essentially, the simplest way is it, it's a declaration of blessedness. <laughs> When you have these beatitudes, people are going to see that you are blessed and you're declaring it with the way that you live, with the way that you're submitted to Jesus Christ, the way you follow the Lord. And see, the word blessed in this section in the Greek is makarios, and it means a complete, sincere, full, total, true happiness. And see, it's wild because... As we look at this section, he's saying, blessed are you poor, blessed are you hungry, blessed are you who weep, and blessed are you who, when men hate you. That's contrary to what the world seeks. The world says, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be hungry. I don't want to weep. I want to be loved by everybody. I want to please everyone. 
The Lord says, well, here's the deal. You're going to be blessed when you honor my word. And my kingdom is contrary to this kingdom of the world. It's very simple. As believers, we absolutely, again, we live in this world, but we're not of this world. We're citizens of another kingdom. And when we live unto that kingdom, we are immediately blessed as we follow and trust the words of Jesus. And see, it's so cool because it's all in the present tense. It says, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. It's present tense. Immediately, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and begin to walk out, the things that he instructs you on, the things that he guides you in, you're going to immediately be better off for it. You are going to experience a blessedness that, man, you chased all of those years before you knew Jesus. And now as you walk in him, you realize the things of this world, they grow, they grow and fade, <laughs> right? They go away. But when we trust in Jesus, man, it's so great because we seek first his kingdom and he gives us anything else we may need. Like it says in Matthew 6, 33, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You see, it's not about the things, but the Lord makes sure that when you need clothing, when you need food, Jesus promised, right? That we're more valuable than the birds of the air and they have food in their belly. We're more valuable than the lilies in the field and their clothes looking better than Solomon in all of his glory, right? So in other words, the Lord's gonna take care of you as you put your mind on him. But if you get your mind off of him and his kingdom and stop serving his purpose and start trying to chase the things of the world, man, it's never gonna fulfill you. You're never gonna get what you need and you're gonna miss out on what you were created to do. But when you put yourself after Jesus and follow after him and seek him, he'll take care of the other things. As he sees fit, as what you can handle and what you need, he will provide those things. And so the first thing we see here is Jesus says, blessed are you poor. I don't know if there's a more contradictory statement in this section to tell someone in the world, hey, blessed are you when you're poor. Because many people would have you think that the way that you'll find happiness is through money. They would have you think that the way that you will be successful and, 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 and happy is if you get all the things that you want, whether it be monetary, whether it be your career, whether it be popularity, whatever these things. But here's the wild thing. Jesus says in this word in the Greek, it actually means extremely beggarly poverty. Like this is the lowest poor you can be. And Jesus says, blessed are you when you're that poor. But here's the deal. He's not talking about money. See, we can't assume then if you're automatically poor in this world with no money, right? If all my, all my poor people out here going, cool, then I'm good with God because I have no money. That's not what he's talking about. But the world chases money as if it brings happiness. The Lord says, no, no, no. We're talking about those who are poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 3 tells us specifically that that's what Jesus was talking about. And you see, you might say, well, what is it to be poor in spirit? It's the realization that you are insufficient to provide for your own salvation. You're poor because you got nothing to offer here. You're poor because your sin and your, your sin brings death and your righteousness is as filthy rags according to Isaiah 64, six. When you realize that and when you understand that, you now come to the Lord with your poverty spiritually and say, Lord, I need you to intercede. I need your righteousness credited to my account. I need to be, as Jesus said in John 3, 3, I need to be made born again. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And see, being beggarly, it lets you realize, man, I need the Lord and I need his righteousness. And in that, we will receive something so much better than what this world offers and any kind of money or anything like that. We receive the kingdom of God. There's a reward for us as we trust in the Lord. When we trust in the atoning sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, we receive peace with God according to Romans 5.1. And so that's the, that's the first blessed there. Blessed are you poor. And it's interesting. When we talk about poor in spirit, it reminds me of Luke chapter, uh, I believe it's chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. We had the parable that Jesus gave of the tax collector and the Pharisee. He told it to a group of men that were completely self-righteous and believed that they on their own merit, on their own righteousness, would receive eternal life. And Jesus said to them in, in the parable, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I possess. He believed in that story, this, this Pharisee believed that his righteousness was so strong, even while he prayed, he basically thanked God for how good he was for how well he had taken care of his own righteousness. But meanwhile, you had the tax collector, a man that was hated in his community and outcasted. The tax collector, Jesus said, was standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And see this man, this man is an example of being poor in spirit. This man recognized his need for mercy from God. And see, Jesus said at the end of that parable, he said, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, he went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we have to come with this attitude of, Lord Jesus, I need your righteousness. I need forgiveness. I have no righteousness on my own. And then the second here is verse 21. It says, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. And see, this hunger here, again, we're not talking about food and, and what the world would say should feed your hunger. We're talking about neediness. And in Matthew 5, 6, it was a hunger for righteousness. And you see, when you realize that you're poor in, spi you're poor in spirit, that you don't have anything, what you're hungry for is righteousness. You're hungry for the Lord. You're hungry for that relationship with Jesus Christ. And see, in this case, what we're seeing here is that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it says you will be filled. And I'll tell you what's so cool about being filled by Jesus. First, you get filled by the Spirit in, in this side of the Pentecost, right? This side of the cross. We get that filling of the Holy Spirit. And now we have the Lord residing in us, leading us and guiding us, directing us where to go. That's an awesome filling. But beyond that filling is as we take in the Word of God, man, it just satisfies our soul in such a way that the Lord speaks to us. It's so important to be in the word every day. And it reconnects us with the father. It reconnects us with the truth in the midst of this crazy world, this chaotic place. Psalm 107, nine says, for the Lord satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And see, what's so awesome about this is when we get filled by the Lord and we're filled with the word, it's different than that of the world. See, when we eat the stuff of the world, it doesn't fulfill in any way, and it actually brings destruction and it brings chaos in our life. But when we partake of the world, or I'm sorry, of the word, 
it actually fills us for that day. But what's so cool, it makes us hungry in a good way for more of it. In the world, it left us starving. But in the Lord, it keeps us hungry to continue to chase after the Lord, to continue to partake in that. And I think it's so cool because we are told in Deuteronomy 8.3 that man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And then Jesus later said that he is the bread of life. So we don't live by the bread of this world. We live by the word and the word, Jesus Christ, is the bread of life. We need to just come to Jesus every day, trust in him, open his word up, be filled with his spirit. And I guarantee you, you will be filled. And as you keep doing that day by day, until you're face to face with Jesus Christ, man, you're going to be blessed for that. As Jesus said, blessed are you who hunger. And then it goes and says, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. This is a wild one. I don't know about you guys, but if you took a bunch of people and told them, hey, if you come follow Jesus, part of the deal in the kingdom is that he's not going to take away your weeping right now. You're still going to weep. You're still going to have moments where you have sorrow, where you have mourning. And I think there's two applications here. The very first one is that we still fall short. We have this, as, as Paul described in Romans 7, we have this old man, right? The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. We have this battle. And until we're face-to-face with the Lord in that new body, in that perfect place, we have these battles. And sometimes we fail. We have to come to the Lord and ask for repentance He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins if we come and confess them. It says that in 1 John 1, 9. But what that means is we fall short sometimes. And man, we mourn our sin. We feel awful over it. It's terrible. We don't want that. But here's the good news about that. As we mourn our sin here, as we weep over our shortcomings, eventually we're going to laugh because we're going to the place where the Lord is. We're going to have eternal joy. And we're going to be in the presence of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so the second application I think about is just the fact that here on this earth, we know all the time that we are battling true pain and true sorrow and so much difficult, right? So much difficulty in this world. But in this case, we're told in Revelation 21, 4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So what this means is that someday we are going to be in a spot where although we are just being beaten up by the things of this world, the Lord's going to wipe those things away. We're going to show up in a place before the Lord where we're going to have that eternal joy. And though we weep now, Man, we can worship later. We're going to be reunited with those whom we love that trusted in Jesus. I know there's people out there that are so excited for that day. That day when you know you're going to see that loved one that passed in this kingdom, but they trusted in Jesus and they're there present in his kingdom now. And we can't wait for that reuniting. And so I just encourage you in that the last blessed here is blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. I think this is really crazy because the world would say, man, I do not want to be hated, excluded, reviled, and rejected. But Jesus says, here's the deal. When you're poor in spirit, you're going to be blessed for it. But when you're poor in spirit, when you're hungry for righteousness, when you're mournful over your sin and you're waiting for the kingdom of God, you're going to be marked pretty unusual in this world. 
This world is going to think, man, you are absolutely strange that you believe in a real God, that you believe in this guy, Jesus, dying and resurrecting and believe that he is the Lord and the Son of God. That's crazy. They're going to mark you as being very different and weird. But I'll tell you, when it's for the Son of Man's sake, when it's just because you're following Jesus, praise the Lord for that. That means that you're consecrated. That means that you trust in the Lord. But let me be clear. It says that this is when you're hated for the son of man's sake. Don't be hated for your own sake. I don't know if this makes sense, but I feel like so many times we want to be weird for the sake of being weird as sometimes as Christians, sometimes as just people. We want to be, you know, maybe sometimes we're just over the top judgmental, over the top self-righteous, holier than thou. That's not what Jesus is saying. You need to go out and be hated. Don't make people hate you for your, your personality traits. <laughs> But if you're following Jesus, immediately this world is going to say, man, I want nothing to do with that, right? Jesus said in John 3, 20, everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. See, we're to call out sin when we see it and where we see it as being destructive, but we do it in a way that is not to condemn. We're going to touch that next week in the rest of this passage. But the idea is that we definitely need to identify sin as sin. And we need to live in a way that tells people we are here to seek and to save the, that which was lost through the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of Jesus Christ. When you trust in Jesus Christ, you can be delivered and become a citizen of this same kingdom that we're a part of. But when men are blinded by the things of this world and blinded by their flesh and blinded by the enemy, Satan, man, they're going to hate you for that. They're going to hate what you stand for. And Jesus said, he's the light of the world. And those that follow him shall not walk in darkness, but walk in light. And he said here, men hate light. Men of this world hate light. So when we walk after him, it's probably going to come with the territory. But blessed are you when you do that. Because not only does it mean that you're walking for the Lord when you do it rightly, but there's a reward that's coming. Your reward is in heaven. And they did the same things to the prophets. Elijah was rejected by Ahab right? You had Elisha out here. These guys were, were absolutely rejected. Jeremiah and Isaiah and all these people were despised. Jesus himself was crucified. <laughs> we shouldn't be shocked that when we live for the kingdom outside of this world, for the heavenly kingdom, for the eternal kingdom, we're going to run in to division and to darkness here that does not like what we have to say because the gospel is a double-edged sword. When we preach the gospel, it can be light that brings people in, or it can be the light that exposes and makes people run and turn to hate. But man, we got to keep doing what we need to do for the kingdom. Amen. And so from there, Jesus then pronounces woes. Basically, he preaches against those who re would reject his words in unbelief and walk according to the spirit of the world. Look what it says here in verse 24. It says, but woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. And see that word woe, we don't use it in this kind of context very often in our modern English, right? Basically what this word means, it's a word that is an exclamation of sorrow, of regret, of warning, basically saying, hey, there's condemnation that will come if you stay on that path. 
The warning itself is not condemnation. Jesus is not saying, hey, right now, because I'm telling you this, you're condemned. It's a shaking to say, man, you are going to regret if you don't repent, if you don't turn. And see, it's interesting because the woes that Jesus gives here, they're, they're perfectly and directly in contrast to the four beatitudes that he gave in the section right before this. And see what this is, this is the, the refusal of the rich and the full and the comfortable and the popular to seek Jesus, to do the things that the citizens of the kingdom do and are blessed by. They walk opposed to those things. They walk opposite to it because they want to hold on to everything that they have in this world. They want to live for this world because they've been told by their flesh and by the enemy, Satan, they've been told this is what you need to live for. And it said, Jesus said in John 12, 25, he who loves his life in this world, right, will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep his life for eternal life. And see, what that means is, when you refuse to, to trust in Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus Christ, not only will you not be blessed, man, there is a true curse that is coming in eternity if you do not repent from these things. Jesus preached this in Matthew 25, 46 and Matthew 25, 41, that those that do not believe in him, they would have to depart from him. They were cursed. They would go to the place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. It was not prepared for man. But when people want nothing to do with Jesus and they say, I do not want you, there's only one other place. It is hell. And it's a real hell. Jesus preached this. This is why we are so urgent about people putting their faith in Jesus Christ. You put your faith in him tonight and your name will be kept in that book of life. That you will be able to enter into the kingdom because all men will appear. All people will appear before the, before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for what they've done. For those that are citizens of the kingdom, we are going to go there and we will receive that reward. Second Corinthians, I believe it's 5.10 talks about this, the judgment seat of Christ. For the, it's the Bema seat, the awards that are given. But those that don't know Jesus, that didn't trust in Jesus, believed in the things of this world, to stand before him and to be rejected and turned away and say, you're cursed, depart from me for I never knew you. That's the worst thing that could possibly happen. But people here... They thought they were rich. They thought they were full. They thought they were laughing, having a good time. They were liked by everyone. But it says here that, man, it's no good because they have their consolation. They have their comfort in this earth, in this world. While the blessed citizens of Jesus's kingdom, we may not have consolation on this earth. We may have anxiety and discomfort and all kinds of things because of what this world has. But... Those that don't trust in Jesus, they think they have it. But man, when they get in front of him, when they leave this kingdom, this world that they are a citizen of, and this is the only kingdom they're a citizen of, man, it is bad news. Their consolation is done. Their comfort is over. They're going to be starving for the hope of Jesus Christ, and it's too late to receive it. Today is the day of salvation. See, Jesus told the story of Lazarus, the beggar, and the rich man in Luke 16, 19 through 31. You see, you had the rich man, obviously, who lived for riches on the earth. Well, the poor beggar, Lazarus, he was poor. He was a beggar. He didn't have anything. But in the story, they both die. And one goes to the place of comfort. One goes to a place of torment. The rich man ends up in the place of torment and the poor man in the place of comfort. It's not because one was physically rich and one was physically poor. It's because one was poor in spirit, Lazarus. He goes to the place of comfort. 
But the man that's there in the place of torment, the rich man, he starts calling out and says, Lazarus, come dip your finger and give me some water on my tongue. He says, Lazarus, go tell my brothers that, to avoid this place. And Jesus says in the parable in Luke 16, 25, that Abraham said to the rich man, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus received evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Those are the words of Jesus. And it's crazy because in parables, Jesus doesn't usually use names. In this parable, he names the guy Lazarus. He knows the name of the righteous man. And I really believe this is a, a true story that Jesus says, this is what happened. We know the principle is true, but I believe this is a true story that we're experiencing here. But it says that the rich man, essentially he received his consolation by living for the passing kingdom of this world. And it went away, it faded away. In eternity, he had nothing waiting for him. Well, that poor man, Lazarus, who was just poor in spirit, but he trusted in the Lord, he wound up being blessed. Though he wept here on earth, he was laughing in the presence of the Lord in joy. Not laughing at, let's be clear, not laughing at the fact that another man went to the place of torment. He's laughing in the sense of, man, he's got joy eternal because he trusted in the Lord Jesus, amen? And see, the last thing that we have here, we've seen the, the appointing of the apostles. We've seen the, the attitudes. Now, I believe these are the attributes that we should have as we walk out this, in the power of the spirit, the calling that Jesus has put upon our life. Take a look at verse 27 through 31. And again, we're just going through verse 36 tonight. So we're almost done here. It says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. And see, this is awesome because what Jesus is teaching as the attributes of citizens of his kingdom, he says, here are the qualities that you should emanate, that should flow out of you as you follow me. He says, what the first thing is, is selfless, unconditional love. That's convicting to me. I don't know about you guys, but my love many times as a human being is very conditional. It's kind of like, who's nice to me? I will be nice to them. That's how I lived my life generally. What I can get out of you, back before I knew Jesus and I got to fight it every day, right? Because there's two men, there's two dogs in the fight. Whichever one I feed the most is going to win the fight, the spirit or the flesh. But before I knew Jesus, it was just about opportunity, being an opportunist. What can I get out of a situation? I love those who gave me favor and I didn't care for those that didn't like me, right? Well, Jesus comes in here and I love it. The first thing he says is, but I say to you who hear. So the very first thing is he says, I'm going to quote myself, <laughs> I'm the authority. I'm not going to quote anyone else and everyone else that's walking around telling you how you should live a life of love. I'm going to correct whatever you've been told on this matter. And I love it because Jesus is the only person, the only human that could truly give this command without hypocrisy. Think about what Jesus did. Jesus died for the sins of those that killed him. He was willing to give his life up. And not only did he give his life up, to the for the men that were killing him but he said to the father in Luke 23:34 father forgive them for they do not know what they do 
His heart was shining through that moment as he died. It wasn't like he was thinking, well, I'm not dying for them. I'm dying for someone else. He was dying for them and saying, Lord, I hope, we, I hope they come to know your forgiveness. I hope that they see the love that I am pouring out from this cross upon them, that you are pouring out upon them. And see, it shows that Jesus lived exactly what he taught. God forbid if we say we're Christians, if we say we belong to Jesus, if we say that we're citizens of the kingdom of God, but we don't love people. Like this is so important, right? And you say, well, James, how do we do this? (laughs) I say the only way we can do this is through the power of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you confess him as Lord and Savior, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Not only are you saved, but you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, according to Acts 2, 38 and 39. And so when we receive that spirit, we also can produce the fruit of the spirit through the power of the Lord. In Galatians 5, 22, it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, goodness, faithful gentleness, and self-control. When we walk in those things, we're going to love the people around us because it's no longer about us. It's about loving people for the Lord's sake, to seek and to save that, that which was lost. And I'll tell you what's crazy here is the shocking idea behind the command to love and to do good and to bless and pray for those that hate you because it goes so far beyond what our flesh wants to do. Like even in society right now, the big movement is kind of the negative command. What I mean by that is they say things like, hey, stop hate, right? We hear that a lot right now. Stop hate. Well, that's great. I think all of us can agree. I hope that we can all agree that we shouldn't hate people. No matter, like, it shouldn't be, it definitely should not be based on race or ethnicity or anything. There's a big movement right now that says, stop hate. We all agree with that. Here's what Jesus is saying. Stop hate. That's great. But we need to go into love now. It's not enough to just not, not hate someone. Citizens of the kingdom of God, it's time to love someone. It's time to love on the people that were once hated. The people that are being hated. The people that are being pressed. It's time to love them. The very first thing we do as believers, it should be to love others by by overcoming evil with good. It said that Romans 12, 21, Paul wrote, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When people hate you, when people are terrible to you, don't retaliate evil for evil. Don't burn their stuff down. Don't fight them. Don't beat them up. You love them. And this is what we're to do. But you can see how otherworldly this is. This is not what we want to do in our flesh. But Jesus says, this can be done as you trust in me. And I love it because in verse 31, he just gives that golden rule, right? He said in verse 31, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. This is what we teach our kids, right? Like, hey, I have my two boys, right? Five and seven. When they start fighting each other, Man, I tell them, hey, you wouldn't want him to do that to you. Do unto him what you'd want him to do to you, right? It's the golden rule, the royal law of love. And see, Jesus said in John 13, 35 and 34, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So you see, guys, it's, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, it's not enough to just say, hey, let's stop hate. Let's go love. In the power of Jesus Christ, give the gospel out that delivers people from eternal death and separation. Give them the gospel that brings them into eternal life. 
You tell them that Jesus died for them, just as he died for you, just as he died for me. The wages of our sin was death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Amen. Romans 6.23 tells us that. And so the last section we're going to look at, verse 32 through 36, it says, But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. And you see what's happening here is Jesus is explaining that the love of those who follow him, that are citizens of the kingdom of God, man, it's going to be very different than the quote unquote love that we used to know in the world, that we used to show in the world, that was always circumstantial. It was always conditional. Jesus says, that's not how we live anymore. We don't get to choose who we love. You might think, man, I can only love those that agree with me. I can only love those that align with my agendas. Here's the deal. As citizens of Jesus Christ, Jesus is our agenda. Jesus is who we are to be representing over all other things. We are citizens of his kingdom. And see, what we want to do is we want to go out and tell people the reason that I can love everyone in the power of the Spirit, even while they don't believe in Jesus Christ, even while they're out sinning and doing the things that we used to do, that we still sometimes stumble and do. We don't get all holy roller on our high horse. What we need to do is say, we're going to love them because this is how Jesus set the example to us. This is how God set the example to us. It says in 1 John 4, 10 through 11, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And see, it says in this section, there's going to be times where we deem some people in our flesh as evil and unthankful. The reality is you and I were evil and unthankful before, before we ever loved God. But he loved us first by giving of himself, by putting on flesh, coming as Jesus Christ, the son of God, dying in our place for our sins. And now as we put our faith in the fact that Jesus is Lord, that he rose again on the third day, when we believe that, God fills us with his spirit, gives us a new life, a new citizenship, a new destiny, a new purpose. And man, we want to tell everyone about that. We want to live in a way to where we are working for the kingdom of God. Amen. And see the verse that I think about is Colossians 3, 23 to 24. It says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. And you see, as we serve the Lord, the character of our love it should be so apparent that we are not of this world. We are in this world, but we are citizens of an eternal kingdom that belongs to Jesus Christ. And we should walk in that with every, everything that we have. Man, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, your home life as a husband or as a wife, as a son, as a daughter, as a friend, as a brother or a sister, whatever you are, 
Man, live like a citizen of the kingdom by loving those around you, but not in some empty, hollow love. Because Jesus said, man, when you go preach me, there's going to be division. We need to be ambassadors for the light. And again, the light will either bring people in because they see their, their need. They see that they're poor in spirit or it exposes their sin and they run from it. Either way, we got to stand for the kingdom, but we do it in love. We do it while we love them the way that God loved us by sending his son Jesus before we ever loved him. But we now get to go deliver that message. And it's the most beautiful thing ever. Jesus tells it, wraps it up in verse 36 by saying, therefore be merciful just as your father also is merciful. And again, that's what we're going to pause this week. Next week, we're going to look at the rest of the chapter. But what he says is essentially, you need to act merciful just like your father who is in heaven. Jesus, Jesus tells us, be like God. Be merciful because God has been merciful to you. It's crazy because in Matthew, when this section wraps up, Matthew writes in Matthew 5, 48, therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. That's like true mama mentality. That's like the extreme. You should be trying, aiming for representing God and Jesus perfectly. <laughs> the reality is we will fall short in that if we go into our flesh. But if we walk in the spirit, we're going to be made to look more like Jesus every day. And this is what we need to do. Be like Jesus imitate Jesus. The reason the apostles needed to be with Jesus is so that they could see him work in great action, have compassion and mercy and love on people so that they could take that delegated power that he gave them and go love others and go lead them into the gospel. It wasn't just to love people and leave them in their sin. It was to lovingly tell them it's time to repent. It's time to come into this citizenship that is awaiting you in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And see, the last verse I'll give you to, to think about is Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us in offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Jesus's life was given as a sacrifice for you and I. It was given for us, but it was given unto the Lord that he could bring peace. He's this, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And now that sweet smelling aroma as Jesus gave, gave up to the Lord, his life for, for love for us. Romans 12, one and two tells us the same thing. It's our reasonable service that we would live our life as a living sacrifice, that we would give ourselves for the gospel unto the Lord and to bring in others into his kingdom. He is good and faithful to use us as we trust in his word. And man, look at the apostles. We wouldn't have picked them as being the guys that Jesus would use, but yet, he did. He used him. And it's the same for you and I. We have no business being in this relationship with Jesus Christ outside of his perfect atoning work. Now that it's been made available, it's the day of salvation. Put your faith in Jesus and start walking in his promises at a, as a citizen of the kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you now, Lord, and we just thank you for your goodness, Lord. Father, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace and for your love, Lord. And Father, I thank you for everyone online right now, and I pray for everyone that's going to be online tomorrow and this week listening to this study, Lord. Father, I pray that you would fill each and every one of us with your spirit, Lord, that we would trust in you and walk in your ways. And right now, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, if you're on Instagram Live, if you're on YouTube Live, you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. You can accept that propitiation, that payment. You can accept Jesus Christ, and he will... God will remove the wages of sin, which is death from your account and give you eternal life and welcome you in as a citizen to his kingdom.
If you want to do that tonight, you can repeat this prayer after me. This is where it begins. It doesn't end here, but it begins with this prayer. You say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins, to give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.